Thank you, choir, for that beautiful gift of music. And now, if you would, please join with me in the prayer for illumination. Let us pray. Most high God, majestic and almighty, you who are our beginning and our end, rule in our hearts and guide us to be faithful in our daily actions, worshiping the one who comes as Savior and Sovereign, and who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from the book of Revelation, chapter 1. Grace to you, and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I'd like to make a hazardous interpretation here. I'd like to suggest to you that the book of Revelation is poorly betrayed by B-horror movies and maybe even uh, poorly preached on by preachers that are outside the fold and maybe even poorly depicted in the minds of people who are out doing their shopping right now. I mean, when you think about Revelation, you get a picture of things falling apart, right? I mean, you get the story about the letters to the churches, and one of those letters talks about Jesus saying, if they were not hot or cold, he's going to spit us out. I'm not really keen on any spitting out, right? I don't want to see any of that. Um, or maybe it's about um, the lamb that was slain. Maybe it's about the end of the world, the beast with many heads. I mean, there's so much imagery in Revelation. It's enough just to scare you right to heaven but I want to say we misread Revelation. When we read it as if it is a scared straight opportunity. I want to suggest to you that Revelation, that, and it's, it's one, I know, I'm being nitpicky. We often say revelations. Nope, it was one revelation. John of Patmos, right, anyways. So I'd like to suggest that Revelation is actually functions for the church like a bedtime story. That it reminds us of what the next thing 
will look like. It reminds us that God is comfortably in God's uh, heaven, that God is sitting on God's throne, that God is wiping away the tears from our eyes, that as heaven and earth meet, as Jerusalem comes down out of the sky, adorned like a bride for her husband, that we, the church, can find comfort in the fact that we call Christ King. And now, for some of you, it may have been a long time since you have done the bedtime story routine, so I want to remind you, right? I I, uh, remember reading uh, bedtime stories to uh, Grace as she was uh, itty-bitty. Now, I want to ask you if you've had this experience, right? So, um, So the stories we read, um, she would pick, right? And she would pick the same stories. I don't know if your kid did this, okay? Um, and you would get, the goal was to read the story so the kid went to sleep, right? That was the goal and outcome. The bedtime story was a functional part of the evening. Now, um, you know, as a pastor, I think everything has an order to it, a liturgy, if you will. And so you could start reading the book, but then if a glass of water had not been drank, quickly they would run off to get the glass of water and then come back. And you had to start over on the story. You couldn't continue by marking your place, right? I know Sandra Boynton books are not the most um, expansive literature in the world, but you still had to start over. And if uh, hugs had not been given, Uh, We're coming up on a holiday, and so reading um, uh, a story to Grace at bedtime when she was itty-bitty, if the grandparents were here, oh my goodness, right? And we'd forgotten to hug their necks. There was another run to the den, and then coming back. And of course, the necessary go to the bathroom. But let's say we've done all of that, and we're reading the story. Um, There were times when I would peek Uh, out of the side of my eye to see if her eyes had closed and I would skip a line in the story. Did you ever try that? It's amazing, right? You know, they talk about um, waterfowl never actually sleeping. Do you know this about ducks? That if ducks are in a line, it's the two ducks on the end that keep half their brain awake. I'm not making this up. This is serious stuff. And so that one eye stays open while the other half of their brain and the rest of the ducks fall asleep. I think my daughter was half duck, right? (laughs) I would say, uh, skip a line, especially in Goodnight Moon. That one's rich, right? Oh, I got some parents out there, right? Um, And she'd know. (laughs) And she'd say, "Uh uh-uh. And I'd go back and start over. The goal of reading the story was to, to comfort the child. The bedtime story is something that should be predictable and regular and rehearsed and comforting. Now, um, I'm married to an early childhood educator, and she tells me that Goodnight Moon has um, a lot to do with the importance of a two-year-old struggling with object permanence, that you want to kind of help the child understand that you can say goodnight to the uh, moon and goodnight to the mittens and goodnight to the kittens and goodnight to the clocks and goodnight to the, right? Are you remembering the story as you're going through, right? Because when they close their eyes, what if the clock and the moon 
and the mittens with its kittens disappears. So apparently, Goodnight Moon has something to do with psychology. Whatever. All I knew is that my kid had memorized it, and I had to. One time I was teaching a class about parenting. Um, this was when I was um, much younger in an earlier appointment, and we taught a parenting class, and it was for um, parents who were about to become parents, right? Um, and so we would uh, talk about all the, Amy and I would talk about all the things that you're supposed to kind of think about as a faith-oriented parent. And we would say, it's really important that you read scripture um, uh, before, you know, you read the bedtime story. Um, and we would even set it up where you could read the bedtime story to the rest of the class, because if you've never read out loud, it can be intimidating, right? Not everybody reads scripture like CJ does. And so we'd actually have them read. And what's fascinating is as they read, you could watch the mouths of the other participants who'd already had children as they made the words. I still, um, sometimes in the middle of the night, wake up singing Sandra Boyton songs. I mean, it just happens. Are you familiar? Moo, ba, la, la, la? The barnyard dance? Nothing. All right, one of the things about getting old is your culture references uh, become uh, unknown. Anyways, um, I, I really want to kind of make this argument that Revelation is a bedtime story. So instead of, you know, moo, ba, la, 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 um, I think it's um, we read grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Uh, you know, it, it ends um, our passage today. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. These should be comforting words for us. Our passage says that we are um, priests of his kingdom, that we are priests to the king serving him. And so there's a role for us. I love that um, Thea put crowns on tops of the kids' heads. Yep, you've got a special role. We're not just incidental parts of the universe where atoms and uh, ions collided together and chemical reactions happened, but we are children of the king, priests serving the king of all. And so reading Revelation should be a comforting opportunity when we remember that God is in charge of all things, that God has redeemed the world, and is living out that redemption, calling us to it. Paul says that the creation groans with the movement of redemption as God makes all things right. These are powerful words. Um, I, I, I also believe, um, as we think about this idea, right, that um, Revelation is not just a B-horror movie, but rather I would say that it's more like uh, Michael Caine's words to the orphans in Cider House Rules. Has that been on Netflix yet? Hopefully you've seen it. He says, good night, all you kings and queens of New England and you princes and princesses of Maine. Did you know today's a, a really special day in the life of the church? Today is Christ the King Sunday. It is the last Sunday in the liturgical year. So if you were really weird, you could have a New Year's Eve party tonight because it's the end of the year, right? 
at the end of the liturgical year, it's right before Advent as we get ready for Christmas. It, it is the time that we remember. Uh, we remember again that, that God is in charge, that though the world may be falling apart, though uh, we may not understand the movements of politics and um, uh, earthquakes and natural disasters, we can still rest assured that the crucified king is in charge. So let's dig a little bit deeper um, into the image. Um, now, I don't know about you, if God is in charge, well then, why does the world seem so out of place? Why is there a whole bunch of Iraqis who are camped out on the border of Poland with Belarus and nobody wants to take them? Why is it um, that 20% um, of the world's uh, richest people own 80% of the resources. Why is it if God is in charge that there are children who go to bed hungry? If God is in charge, is this a heaven? And if so, where's he been? I think when we confess that Christ is king, when we confess that God is in charge of the world, we have to remember that scripture says we are priests serving the king that we have a role, that we are children of the king. Now, um, the title of the sermon today is a uh, shameless plug towards U2's classic song, Where the Streets Have No Name. Um, it, it's also a reference to heaven, right? Now, uh, Bono writes the song after he had been to Ethiopia. Um, his wife, um, in addition to being the spouse of a rock star, also saw that it was important to make sure that the hungry were fed, um, those that were homeless had shelter, and that the sick had access to healthcare. And so when there was a huge refugee issue 25 years ago on the border of Ethiopia, not unlike the challenges that Belarus and Poland are experiencing, she went there. And with a non-governmental organization, um, they set up a tent city. And of course, um, once all the work was done, Bono showed up um, and helped hand out um, food. And he had this experience in the middle of the desert with a tent city. Um, he said there were just countless um, tents all organized in a grid, that it was a tent city as far as you could see in the middle of a desert and drought. Bono, with his fancy sunglasses, gets lost. And he begins to realize there are no names to these streets. That he is um, lost in a collection of people who have no home, who are living in tents, who are without food, and that something should be done about it. And the song really works on this um, kind of duality between we think of heaven as the place where the streets have no names, and he's here in a refugee city where the streets have no names. So what do we do about a world that seems headed out of control? Well, I'll tell you, we embody the story. Now you're looking at me like, really? What do you, how do you embody a story? Well, it's much like those parents that as we read together Goodnight Moon, they made the words with their mouths, right? It's much like with my daughter when I'd skip um, a line of the story because I wanted to get back to watching Law of Order, she'd remind me I had to go back and say it right. 
That embodying the story is this idea that we have heard the story and told the story and lived the story so much that all we can do is to live that story of a king who gives it all away, who sends his son to die, for a savior who leads through love and through a people who embody forgiveness and grace. When you start thinking about, is that tent city in Ethiopia, is it heaven or is it hell? I'll tell you, it can be heaven if those of us with food care about those without. That it only becomes hell when none of us know not just the names of the streets, but we don't even know the names of the children who starve there. That when we become priests who serve the king, we begin to be part of setting the world right. We begin to be people who care, not just about um, our portfolio or not just about the crime in our city, but we begin to care about others' children in other places so that all might have, so that all might live, so that we might live simply, so that others might simply live. That when we read Revelation, it becomes our own good night moon. It becomes the way that we remember and embody the story. We embody the story as priests to the king. We remind the world that the story is not about a God who is an absent landlord letting children cry out for hunger, but rather it is a world where we take care of our own. When we tell the story and embody it, we do so in such a way that we become priests to the king that are a living reminder to the world that the creator of the world is present and active and bringing about the redemption of the entire world. On this day that we celebrate Christ the King Sunday, may we remember that God is on his throne and that it's our job to tell the story of the King who loves and gives, a story about a world that can lay its head down to sleep, knowing that everything is in its place. Whether you and I here in Lake Jackson or those all around the world, we can remember that God is caring and loving and spreading us out into the world to love and feed and care. And in that moment, we begin to remember the house and the mouse and the socks and the clocks and, of course, the stars and the moon. Friends, on this Christ the King Sunday, good night, church, and may God bless you in the new year to come. Amen.